This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. Sometimes on this show, or for this show, we produce segments that uh, on occasion are aired somewhere else first. Such was the case with both segments we're going to air on today's program. If you were listening to Capital Public Radio last Friday, you will have already heard both of these segments, or at least most of them. I have the pleasure of filling in on occasion over at Capital Public Radio for Jeffrey Callison on the Insight program, and both interviews today, the one with Ted Robinson, a Sacramento man who took part in the rescue of John F. Kennedy in World War II when his boat PT-109 was sunk by the Japanese, and our chat with France Cassing, host of It's About You, regarding her many chats with the legendary late historian Howard Zinn. Well, they were both heard on KXJZ, KKTO, Tahoe, Reno, and KUOP on Friday. Anyway, we kind of hope you did hear those segments on Friday, but they're both so good that we think they would easily stand a second listening. They're both uh, great uh, great chats, great discussions, and you would do well, I think, to stay tuned for both of those. But uh, let us begin Radio Parallax as we like to do with On This Date in History, the date in question being the 18th of February. It was on this date in 1678 that the English author John Bunyan published Pilgrim's Progress, which is now said to be the most frequently reprinted book in English after the Bible. I do recall a few years ago when there was a poll taken among, I guess it was English majors, about uh, what they thought was the most boring book in the English language. And as I recall, the, as, and as I recall, the hands-down winner was John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. And no, we don't know why it keeps getting reprinted. But then maybe it's better than that poll indicated. I really don't know. I'm sure if he's listening, our good pal Dr. Andy Jones will, uh, will render an opinion on that subject. On this date in 1885, Mark Twain published The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, a book that novelist Ernest Hemingway later said marked the beginning of American literature. It is, in this correspondence opinion, the great American novel. And to those who would argue that it's racist, I would say, you missed the point. You missed it clean. You missed it by a thousand miles, as Huck said in the novel. On February 18th and 1930, Pluto, <laughs> then considered the ninth planet from the sun, was discovered by the American astronomer Clyde Tombaugh. Pluto's had its ups and downs over the years, mostly downs. For more on that topic, we refer you to our own archives and our interview with Neil deGrasse Tyson, who wrote a whole book about this. And finally, here's one I didn't know. Apparently on February 18th and 1984, Italy and the Vatican agreed to drop Roman Catholicism as the official state religion of Italy. Catholicism has also had its ups and downs over the years. And it might be a good time to mention that the opinions you hear on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. But you know, it's funny. A recent independent study conducted by the RAND Corporation showed that Radio Parallax was actually right about it. Was it 97% of the time, Mr. McMillan? I believe that's correct. Yeah, and I believe it's 97% of the time we are spot on. And we admit, nobody's perfect. You know, we, we once endorsed a Will Ferrell movie, but we're doing the best we can, okay? 
And for the record, we did retract that endorsement. Our quote of the day comes from Sarah Palin, who apparently said to this recent uh, national uh, tea party convention. Let's see if I can imitate her. So how's that hopey changey thing working out for you? I guess she was mocking President Obama, a man who has to read off a teleprompter. Speaking of President Obama, our quip of the day comes from Jimmy Kimmel, who said, President Obama told a group of high school kids not to blow their college money in Las Vegas. And people in Las Vegas are very upset. Why, without these kids' college funds, who's going to take care of the ventriloquists and the prostitutes? Our quip of the day comes from the legendary Alice Roosevelt Longworth, who once said, I've always believed in the adage that the secret of eternal youth is arrested development. Alice was also famous for once having said, If you can't say anything nice about somebody, come over here and sit by me. All right, our our jokes of the day come from Peter Hartlub of the San Francisco Chronicle, who on February 5th analyzed Super Bowl halftime shows and put an article out titled, Super Bad Shows. We'll have to take a few excerpts out of these. Describing the halftime in Super Bowl 31 in 1997, said Peter, A Blues Brothers bash might have sounded like a lot of fun in 1980. Unfortunately, this happened in 1997 when Danny Aykroyd teamed with new Blues Brothers John Goodman and the tone-deaf Jim Belushi to shamelessly promote their new Blues Brothers 2000 movie. James Brown showed up and, for the first time in his life, didn't look the least bit funky. The event only served to remind everyone that John Belushi was still dead and that Jim Belushi should stick to -to straight-to-video K-9 sequels. Describing the halftime at Super Bowl 16 in 1982, Peter said, I hope you were throwing the football in your front yard during halftime shows in the 1970s and early 80s, which all seemed to feature either Up With People or Carol Channing. Up With People always had a creepy, weird, cultish quality with exaggerated dance moves, brightly colored yet chaste clothing, and industrial-grade happiness. The group's 1982 salute to Motown and the 1960s was the worst of its four Super Bowl appearances. And finally, Super Bowl 23 in 1989, which went on the title of Elvis Presto, said Peter, Featuring an Elvis impersonator, but no actual Elvis Presley songs, this horrible combination of a 1950s sock hop, a giant, mostly incomprehensible card trick, and 3D technology was mind-bendingly horrible. It might have made it to number one on my list if it wasn't for Bob Costas' sarcastic introduction where he all but declares the show a complete waste of time. (laughs) The most amazing part? In the end, the card trick didn't work. Actually, that piece is so good, we may have to quote from it again in the future. Let us now move into the good, the bad, and the ugly. magazine it was a good week last week for political correctness when the Atlanta Transit Agency came under fire for naming the trains serving the suburb of Doraville home to a large Asian American population the yellow line John Yasutake an employee of the Metropolitan Atlanta Rapid Transit Authority said supervisors ignored his warning that the yellow line would offend Asians 
It was, on the other hand, a bad week for reforming American college football. It was revealed that the University of Southern California had offered a football scholarship to a schoolboy quarterback, David Sills, who apparently can't sign the binding letter of intent until 2010 because he's 13 and in the seventh grade. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Akbar Zib, a respected high-ranking Pakistani official who was rejected as ambassador to Saudi Arabia because apparently his name translates to biggest penis in Arabic. Our stat of the day, according to the Angus Reid public opinion poll, only 31% of Americans are, quote, very confident, unquote, or, quote, moderately confident, unquote, that U.S. troops will withdraw from Iraq in 2011, as called for in a U.S.-Iraq security agreement. I have to admit, we have our doubts about that as well. We have a couple items from the good news, sort of, file. According to the Cincinnati Inquirer, thanks to widespread job losses, the U.S. Census Bureau has hired the most highly skilled, highly educated workforce in its history. Among those participating in March's count of the population will be corporate vice presidents, engineers, and college professors. It's also reported that uh, the highest paid city employee in Madison, Wisconsin, when somebody checked, turned out to be bus driver John E. Nelson, who earned $159,000. Last year, including $110,000 in overtime and other extra pay. Turns out seven city bus drivers made more than hundred grand last year. Well, to that I say, at least they drove a bus. What are these jackasses making on Wall Street for what? Shuffle on paper? Paper that kind of left you holding the bag. Let's talk about that Tea Party event that had Sarah Palin in it. Uh, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, writing in Salon.com scoffed at the idea that uh, people are talking about what a renegade uh, movement this is. Glenn Greenwald said the Tea Party is the Republican Party. Based on the Palin keynote address and other speeches, it's all the same nationalistic militarism and warmongering, Wall Street subservient economics, and religion-based policymaking that has defined the GOP. Adding, the media seems to find something charming about the whole scene, but this movement is nothing more than the Republican Party masquerading as a grassroots phenomenon. Speaking of tricky PR, we'd like to cite Joss Garman's article in The Guardian from last Monday. In fact, let's quote a bit from it. Climate deniers, such as those at the Tea Party in Nashville, Tennessee, have more influence in the debate than many countries represented at Copenhagen. There's an incredibly powerful movement opposed to action on climate change. Without doubt, it had more influence on the outcome of the climate negotiations in Copenhagen than many of the world's countries combined. Obama knew that if he signed up to something that would truly deliver significant cuts in global warming pollution, he'd suffer a serious blow from this movement's army of activists and its allies in the Senate. He added, the Tea Party movement, coupled with its sophisticated echo chamber of right-wing shock jocks, Culture War keyboard commandos and allies at Fox News are all pushing the skepticism line on climate change. Referring to it as a disinformation campaign, he went on to say that it was just these sorts of tactics, adding it was just these sorts of tactics that, with the Swift Boat campaign questioning his military ability, helped to bring down Senator John Kerry's presidential campaign in 2004. 
Here's the part that got me in the article. Said Garmin, the climate movement would be wrong to underestimate the damage that's been done over these last few weeks. One extremely influential British journalist told me that editors are coming under significant pressure to adopt more contrarian stances on the climate science because they're receiving scores of emails and telephone calls daily from the public demanding a more skeptical line. Scores of emails and telephone calls from the public. Does this sound a bit like Glenn Greenwald's uh, uh, you know, phony grassroots phenomenon? I, I, I think it does. Near the end, he said, I've often thought it's strange and problematic that climate change has become a culture war issue. Rightly or wrongly, if you, quote, believe, unquote, the science of climate change, it's assumed you probably read The Guardian or Independent, that you support gay marriage and oppose the war in Iraq. But of course, the polarization of society on this issue has been completely manufactured by those who seek to deliberately polarize the carbon debate by painting climate change as the latest liberal obsession. And in further comments on bogus science, Elizabeth Whalen, writing in the New York Post, commented on Dr. Andrew Wakefield, whose article in The Lancet back in 1998, which linked autism to childhood vaccinations, has left blood on his hands. The journal later said Wakefield's findings were based on bad science. But it's too late. Hundreds of children have died because of the anti-vaccination hysteria that the bogus study created. After Wakefield's study made headlines, vaccination rates dropped throughout the Western world, especially in Britain, where hundreds of children contracted measles and some died. In the U.S., parental phobia about vaccines led many to shun the swine flu vaccine, with more than 1,000 children dying from the epidemic, probably as a result. Whooping cough has made a return after nearly being wiped out. But the doctor friend was telling me last weekend about the, the joys of having gotten a whooping cough last year. We'll have to bring him on to talk about this. And uh, speaking of a combination of bad journalism and medicine or science, which I guess we are, I was highly disgusted by the article printed in the Sacramento Bee on February 15th by Ramit Plushnik Masti, writing in the Associated Press, about a person we've had on this program more than once, Dr. Cyril Wecht. This is a bit of a journalistic assassination, and I suspect political motivations behind it, but we don't have time to go into it today. Suffice it to say, we will return to that topic. In fact, I expect we'll bring Dr. Wecht on this program himself to, uh, to comment upon some of the things said. And uh, we have to laugh over the fact that apparently, after 30 years of denials, the CIA has finally admitted to its deep-sea retrieval of a Soviet sub back in the 1970s. We've actually talked about this matter on our program, uh, about how the CIA used the Howard Hughes organization as cover to develop a ship called the Glomar Explorer, whose purpose was to pluck a Soviet sub off the uh, sea bottom. I've passed the Glomar Explorer many times when it used to be parked out there among the Liberty ships next to uh, Benicia. This is another matter we need to spend a little time on, but we're a little short today, so uh, we'll have to postpone that one as well. But uh, let's see if we can't hear from our old pal, Will Durst. Well, thanks, Doug. And today I get a word of advice for conservatives. Quit it with the whole teleprompter fixation, would ya? 
I mean, okay, okay, we get it. You don't like the president. And you'll attack him for everything under the sun, from being responsible for the recent substandard maple syrup crop in Vermont to the infestation of rock and roll in the country western music. But please stop with the charge that he's overly dependent on the teleprompter. I mean, really, you need to get a new argument. You might want to profess amazement at the shade provided by his ears, or smirk how he's such a conciliator he probably dithers for an hour when asked, paper or plastic? I'm serious, and I'm doing this for your own good. Trust me, you guys look like idiots. For one thing, everybody uses a teleprompter. No, everybody. When Glenn Beck blusters over the president's reliance on a teleprompter, he's reading his criticism off a teleprompter. All politicians use them. Some even use secret transmitters hidden under the back of their suit coats. You might as well criticize a long-distance runner for his dependence on shoes. Now, I naturally assume that the president's sterling appearance answering questions from Republican congressmen would put a stop to this ridiculous charge, since he skated for about an hour and a half without notes or teleprompter. But no, Sarah Palin at the Teabagger convention gave a speech mocking Obama for using a teleprompter while she was wearing crib notes inked on her hand. Talk about the pot calling the kettle black. Bad analogy. She had the words energy, budget, and lift American spirits written in Sharpie right on her God-given palm pilot. Hypocrite or just a retro techno geek? Of course, this does explain a lot. I mean, she probably did want to read more when she was in Alaska, but you hardly ever get to tick off your mittens. If you think about it, John McCain might be president right now. If only Sarah Palin had bigger hands. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Durst. Always a pleasure to hear from Mr. Durst. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett, and let's have a President's, uh, President's Weekend appropriate discussion after a short break. Mm-hmm. 